Welcome to another inspirational message from London Live Church. You're listening to our Sermon of the Week. My very educated mother just served us nine potatoes. Many vicious elephants met just slightly under new pineapples. My very easy method just speeds up naming planets. These are examples of something called mnemonic devices or memory devices. And and those are just learning techniques that help with the retention and retrieval or the memorizing and recalling of information. My very educated mother just served us nine potatoes is in fact a mnemonic device that helps memorize the names of the planets in the solar system in order, namely Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and depending on who you talk to, Pluto. Mnemonic devices can have the form of an acronym, a short poem, sometimes things called mind palaces, special movements, special actions. My favorite one growing up was was the knuckle technique using the knuckles on your hands to determine which months have 30 and which months have 31 days in them. I still use it to this day. And people are capable of memorizing incredible amounts of information using these mnemonic devices, using these learning techniques. For example, one person memorized 111,700 decimals of the number pi. And as far as I know, that is the current record. So today I want us to take a lesson in mnemonics. And we find it in our gospel reading that we just heard. Before the events described in the reading, the gospel of Mark describes a few other things. Jesus' death on the cross and a certain Joseph of Arimathea asking Pontius Pilate, the governor of the province, for the body of Jesus. And we are told that Joseph was a respected member of the council, and that is the Sanhedrin, or the council in charge of the political and religious affairs of Jews in the Roman-occupied Palestine. And Joseph was in fact given permission to take the body of Jesus, so he took Jesus' body and he wrapped it in linen cloth and put it in a tomb hewn out of a rock. And many people believe that this particular tomb was Joseph's personal tomb that he prepared for himself while he was still alive, or that at least it belonged to his family. And then we are told that he rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. The purpose of the stone was to keep the tomb shut and to protect it. And then begins our gospel reading for today. The three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. They came to the tomb early on Sunday morning to anoint the body of Jesus, but they had a problem. They were talking on the way to the tomb. They were talking to each other, and they were wondering, who will roll away the stone for us? from the entrance to the tomb. The reason they are asking this is because 
they thought they're not strong enough to move the stone. And because the stone is, stone is described as being very large. The Greek word used here, in fact, is megas. It was, it was a mega stone. It was a very large stone. And you see, when things are described in such a way in the Bible, it's usually because it is, they are very important. Uh, this stone already had an appearance in the previous uh, paragraph uh, that was talking about Joseph rolling it onto the tomb. And now the stone is mentioned again. And it, we're even given a description of the appearance of the stone. So we know that this stone is very important. It's a mega stone. And here starts the lesson in mnemonics. This mega stone that the women were worried about was covering the entrance to the tomb. And the word tomb used here is nimio. Forgive me for the short lesson. The word nimio means tomb, but also monument or memorial. And it comes from the word mnimi, which means recollection or memory. And it is also related or connected to the word nia, which means mention or remembrance. It is, in fact, where we get the word mnemonics from. So the women are concerned that they won't be able to commemorate Jesus properly because the mega stone at the entrance of the tomb or the monument is blocking their way. But to their surprise, when they arrived, this mega stone, the tomb was open. The monument was accessible. The commemoration was possible. However, when they entered the tomb, they encountered a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Of course, they were alarmed. You don't expect to find someone living when you walk into a tomb, much less this mysterious figure called a young man, which traditionally is believed to be an angel. But the young man told them not to be alarmed. He knew that they were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and he told them that Jesus is not there. They are looking in the wrong place. Jesus is not in the tomb. Jesus is not in the monument. Jesus had in fact been raised and he is on the move. He is in fact going ahead of them and they are to go and tell the rest of the disciples, especially Peter, that they need to go back to Galilee. Jesus is going in front of them and they will find him back in Galilee. And the reading ends with the women fleeing the tomb, seized by terror and amazement, and saying nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And in fact, this is not just how today's reading ends. This is in fact how the whole Gospel of Mark ends. The oldest manuscript of the Gospel of Mark and right there with verse 8, with the women fleeing in terror and not saying anything to anyone. And most scholars agree that this is, in fact, the original ending of the Gospel of Mark. The text that sometimes can be found following in the, in the verses that follow um, the so-called longer ending of Mark is, 
is different, different in tone, different in language compared to the rest of the Gospel of Mark. And most theologians agree that this was, in fact, a later addition, a way to make the Gospel of Mark correspond better to the rest of the Gospels. In fact, when we look at the whole of the Gospel of Mark, the style in which Mark writes justifies this kind of ending and also serves as a whole as a form of lesson in mnemonics. Mark's gospel is notorious for its fast pace. Everything is happening quickly. I spoke this already, spoke about this already. He uses this word, this Greek word called ephthis, ephthis, and that just means immediately, straight away, at once, and everything is happening quickly. Ephthis, 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 and almost, almost as if Mark wants us to finish reading the gospel as soon as possible. And the way he ends the gospel is consistent with this agenda of his. He ends without an epilogue, without a climatic, triumphal ending. It ends with a so-called cliffhanger. But as you all know, when an episode in a series ends with a cliffhanger, or a chapter in a book, whether that was the intention or not, it always serves as an invitation to keep watching, to keep reading, to keep going. And our reading for today, as well as the whole of the Gospel of Mark, also serves as an invitation to keep reading, to keep watching, to keep going. And the invitation is specific to go back to Galilee. And that means to go back to the beginning of the story. The story starts with these words, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ starts in Galilee with Jesus' declaration that the kingdom of God has come near or is at hand. It is here in Galilee that Jesus can be found, here where his kingdom starts to spread. And it's a different kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom like no other kingdom. It's a kingdom where fishermen are called to fish for people, unclean spirits are cast out, sick mother-in-laws are healed and restored to life, lepers are made clean, paralytics are made to walk, withered hands are given life again, new spiritual families are established, storms are calmed down, legions are expelled, the flowing of blood is stopped, Children are brought back to life. Multitudes are fed. The sea is used as a runway. Dogs are given crumbs to eat. Demons are made to flee. Deaf ears are open. More multitudes are fed. Blind eyes are made to see. Impatient disciples are rebuked. Violence is condemned. Lives are lost in order to be saved. Bodies are transfigured. Children are welcome. The rich are challenged, the first are made last, the last are made first, more blind eyes are open, triumphal parades are mocked, temples are cleansed, taxes are re-examined, resurrection is re-evaluated, the law is revisited, scribes are exposed, widows are commended, persecution is anticipated, heads are anointed, bread is broken, wine is shed, and all the while many Many parables are told. The women were afraid and they didn't say anything to anyone. 
And that's how the story ends. But the story ends with an invitation to go back to the beginning. As a matter of fact, the whole story is entitled The Beginning of the Good News. Of course, we know that the women did, in fact, say something to someone. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. And it's always the women. You see, in, 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 especially in Mark's gospel, it's always the women. The disciples, all the disciples, all the men, they got it wrong. And it's the women who got it right. It's the disciples, all of them, down to the last one, they scattered and they fled. And it's the women that stayed there, right there until the very end. Well, that's a topic for another sermon. But the point is that the women did go back to Galilee. They accepted this divine invitation and they did find Jesus there. They took this divine lesson in demonics. They learned how to remember. They were shown how to commemorate. Today is Holy Saturday. The day when Christians around the world commemorate Christ's body resting in the tomb. Tomorrow is Easter, the day when Christians around the world commemorate Christ rising from the dead. It's a time of remembrance. It's a time of commemoration. And sometimes in our commemorations, we practice bad mnemonics. Sometimes we approach Christ as if he were still in the tomb. Sometimes we build beautiful monuments and we expect to fit Christ in them. Sometimes we, we, we build beautiful buildings, beautiful churches, and we try to squeeze Christ in them and make him stay there. Sometimes we put together beautiful programs, worship services, and we expect to find Christ there. Sometimes we create monumental doctrinal statements, monumental robust theologies, and we expect to contain Christ there. Sometimes we make things that are manageable, safe, predictable, and above all controllable, and we expect Christ to be like that. But the good news, the gospel, is that the megastone blocking the monuments that we have built has been rolled back. And we can enter and examine these monuments we've built from the inside and find that they are empty. Jesus is not inside. And this may feel frightening. It may be overwhelming. We may find ourselves speechless. And that's fine because we don't know how to talk about a Christ that, that does not fit the tombs that we've made for him. We don't know how to speak about a Christ that doesn't sit still wherever you put him. Our words fail us when we try and talk about a Christ who cannot be contained which is why the lesson in the mnemonics is precisely that Christ cannot be contained. The song said, death could not hold him, and neither will any tomb or monument or mausoleum or anything that we've built for him. Christ cannot be contained. He can only be experienced. Christ cannot be understood. He can only be embodied. Christ cannot be comprehended. He can only be 
received. Christ cannot be explained. He can only be lived. The Gospel of Mark ends with a cliffhanger and an invitation because Christ cannot be contained within a book. Christ cannot be contained within a book even if that book is the Gospel. Not even in the Gospel, not even in the Bible, Christ cannot be contained. So when we accept the invitation to go back to Galilee and look for Christ there at the beginning of the story, we will find that living life in the approaching, advancing, and spreading kingdom of God is how we experience the risen Christ. So wherever the gospel is shared, that gospel that started in in Galilee, wherever it is lived out today, that's where we find the risen Christ. Living out the gospel, living out the good news, it's how we commemorate Christ. Partaking in the ministry that he started in Galilee, following in his footsteps, that is how he lives through us and in us today. And the same invitation, the same lesson in mnemonics is offered to us by Christ himself. When Christ took bread and gave thanks and broke it and shared it, he said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this as a commemoration of me. Christ invites us into a particular type of mnemonics. When we eat the bread in order to commemorate Christ, when we internalize the body of Christ, we learn to remember that we are the body of Christ. When we drink the wine in order to commemorate Christ, when we let the blood of Christ flow in us and through us, we learn to remember that we are the body of Christ. And the good news is that Christ is alive and living in his body. He is living, he is moving, he is working, and he will not be contained. The good news is that Christ is alive and living, and his life-giving blood is flowing freely, giving life everlasting to this world. The good news is that Christ is alive and living, and we are invited to partake, to share in his divine life. So as we take part in the divine mnemonic device of Holy Communion. Let us rejoice because the tomb is empty. And let us respond to the divine invitation and become a living monument of Christ. And let this day in our lives be the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the end of this broadcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired. For more information, please visit LondonLiveChurch.com.